0: Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hi, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. Uh, with me in uh, our virtual studios today is Beth Boland. Uh, Beth has uh, had a a varied career. She has worked in publishing. She has been a graphic designer. She's worked in shipping. But for the last several years, she's really been uh, kind of a mom extraordinaire and an advocate. Um, And so we wanted to talk a little bit about how being an advocate, uh, especially for people with disabilities, uh, has changed and the way that the environment today is is really putting the ability to manage um kind of the the broader world uh in in sharper focus so welcome to the podcast beth
1: thank you so much for having me
0: so beth we've we've known each other for a number of years and i've watched as as you've um taken uh advocacy for your daughter emma uh and really kind of um made that a an important part of of your life and uh and your skill set. So tell me a little bit about how that came to be and and why you felt the the need to really um really advocate beyond, you know, the needs of your daughter and really for for a broader group.
1: Well, you know, Emma's our third child and when she was born, we had no idea of her diagnosis. So it was all very surprising. And some of the first people who came to talk to us really just talked about that Emma has Down syndrome. And they just Mm -hmm. really talked about the limitations of people with Down syndrome. And my husband and I truly had no uh, one-on-one experience with anyone um, with uh, an intellectual disability. So Mm -hmm. Emma was our our first experience. And at one point, kind of, I don't want to say where, where we made up our mind, but Yeah, we were hearing all these kind of negative things, and we were holding Emma at one point in the hospital, and you know it was a it was a a dramatic birth and all sorts of other you know sordid details. And Mm -hmm. I looked into her eyes, and she looked into mine, and I and I, I, the way I explained it is, I saw something there. So that was that was where I realized that we weren't just holding a diagnosis; we were holding a real person who who had made, had already made a connection with me anyway. You know, I, I said to my husband at the time, they keep telling us there's nothing there, but I see something there, you know? So that was where it all began, where I realized that this person was going to have people telling her and us of her limitations and, I, and, and even at a couple of days old i I saw her just as one of my other children just a, a little baby so I think that's mm-hmm. where it kind of started
0: well when you i mean it, it seems like a very um callous and um and and kind of dry experience sometimes to deal with doctors who uh, who tend to tell you just what the the situation is but they don't really talk to you at a greater level of depth um did you find that kind of continued um, beyond you know taking Emma home and, and kind of working through the details of, of raising a daughter with an intellectual disability?
1: Um, I think one of the things that we were fortunate about was is that Down syndrome is fairly well documented. And what we were told by our pediatrician, who was a, a kind person who had no other patients with Down syndrome, but was more than willing to learn, he said, well, the first year or so will be about... The same as your other children it's just going to be a matter of you know like feeding and diapering and all this other stuff p.s. it was not her health was absolutely tumultuous for the first 18 months of her life um, and you still joke how the doctor could not have been more wrong um, but we kind of made sure after learning our lesson from other experiences with doctors with emma that we found, we sought out people who would see her as more than a diagnosis, and um, would also seek out knowledge for us. Um, mm. We also learned the hard way not to rely on people who were so-called specialists, um, even in you know whatever field they practiced. Um, we went to people who mostly had seen, uh, who had a lot of experience with Down syndrome. So that was another mm-hmm. kind of thing, and and because we sought those people out, I feel like we were given pretty good guidance along the way. So I
0: don't know if that well, how, the question. no, no, it did. It, um, so how how do you how do you find those people? How do you find uh you know a network? How do you tap into kind of a community that yeah. you know up until you know, a single moment in time, you, you really didn't have any exposure to. Yeah,
1: that's a great question. And that is actually something that I do advocate for a lot. Um, we've learned the hard way. I can remember sitting on the floor of the hospital room where they, um, oh, I forget what kind of specialist it was. I can see her right now. And she literally had no ideas what to do. Like she had done everything she could. It had to do with Emma's breathing mm. and a mutual, a friend of mine had, had before the days of the internet had literally, um, Called different hospitals to find a parent group for parents with people, with, uh, children with Down syndrome. And I went to the first parent meeting when Emma was three months old, before she had open heart surgery. She was just this little, oh my gosh, bit of a thing. And it was there with those parents who were living my life or who had lived my mm-hmm. life where I found the strength and the resources that I really, really needed. Um, and I've always been someone who kind of like chats away. With anyone anyway. So I think that mm. really helped where I was not afraid to ask for advice or names or numbers or whatever. And, and I think because I was given so much wonderful information that I felt that it was my responsibility to not, to, to pass it along to anyone I could. Um, I had spent so many hours of, well, I still do, um, researching, you know, things with intellectual, uh, therapies or options or some people with intellectual disabilities that for all this information to stay in my head, what a waste, what a waste of energy. So Mm. I, I very much, you know, I'm happy to help people um, find what they need.
0: Well, I mean, how, when you go through that process, um, and you're, you're actively engaged and exhausted as a parent anyway, um, how do you find a balance between? Trying to give yourself a master's degree in you know people with disabilities, hunting down the right type of resources, and then just you know being the average everyday parent. And by the way, you, you had two other kids at the same time. <laughs>
1: yeah, so how yeah. did you
0: balance all of that?
1: Um, I stayed up really, really late at night, and I also have huh. a husband of the father of our children who was and continues to be you know a resource beyond you know, beyond imagination. Um, You know, he, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a happy person in the morning. So he gets up, he would get up with the kids. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I could stay up late and I could do my research. And, you know, like when Emma was in the hospital Emma spent a fair amount of time in the hospital, the first 12 months of her life. And we learned early on that he was the night guy. He, he stayed at the hospital overnight because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't sleep if I was there. So I think that that, you know, that, was a huge part of how I was able to learn what I needed to learn to help our child. Um, and not that Kevin didn't, you know, do research or learn or whatever, but we kind of fell into the roles of I did the researching and the phone calling and the, all of this regarding Emma and her, her medical and her education and all this other stuff. And he, he supported me in that respect. Um, so well wow. you know, i think i think that's really how it gets done and i cannot imagine doing this without a supportive partner i i can't i can't imagine how you would do it so
0: no i think that's um you know i think for for any any marriage any group you know any pair of people who are dealing with challenges and trials you you find the skill set of the other person uh, and you figure out how to make them complementary skill sets uh, i'm Bad in the middle of a you know short term emergency. I just am not that quick. Um, what I'm good at is the longer term stuff, um, and so you you adapt and and figure that out. But at the same time, you're also you're also dealing with an imperfect system in the U.S. healthcare. So tell me about that imperfect system because it's not always easy to get to the right resources and you know you also have a a child that you you want to make sure she feels comfortable as all of you know this is being done so how do you how do you balance yeah. how have you balanced her needs um with navigating all of these other groups that that you need to rely on
1: so i i think one of the things we learned early on was that to rely on a doctor for 100% of the information put us at a disadvantage because then we had to believe whatever or do whatever what was told to us. So once again, I would, you know, okay, your daughter's in the hospital for, you know, some lung ailment. And I would, you know, early on in the early early days of the internet and you know when we were still doing boolean searches um, I would I would look that up and I would literally learn as much as I possibly, possibly could get my hands on, relate the information to my husband, Kevin, and then we would be able to have intelligent conversations with doctors, nurses, therapists, whomever. Um, and I really do think that that is one of the ways that you have to, sadly, have to go at whatever your, your medical needs or, or educational needs are with your uh, loved one with intellectual disabilities. Um, it, it's I, a very, very frustrating, but it, it, in this country, I, and I don't know that other countries do it. I, I don't know that other countries do it that much better than us, but in this country, I think that's how you really have to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I find it's a battle for respect. And um, an acknowledgement of your intelligence. Um, The biggest compliment I get out of a doctor in the first ten minutes is, "Oh, do you have a medical background?" Um, Because the the tenor of the conversation changes when they realize that they don't have to translate or dumb something down, so you can use all your terms, Mm -hmm. and we'll figure them out. But on, on on top of that, you really do have to check the experts because often they're flying on a very lean system. Um, know I had a mother who was going in for, a, um, for an MRI, um, of her chest. And, uh, I said, well, that, that might be problematic since she has a pacemaker. Yeah. And the cardiologist said, no, she doesn't. I said, oh yeah, she does. You yeah. should look. And she went back and called me up and said, I'm so sorry. I said, Was there another protocol in place that would have stopped that pacemaker from being pulled out of her chest if she had gone in there? Because, you know, I caught it in a conversation with you. And that's a that's an awakening. Um, How did you get over?
1: I'm sorry. I I agree. And I feel like that ties into experiences that we had going all the way back to the um, NICU and the PICU which kind of ties into the, to what the world is going through right now. Um That as I tell people that our daughter has two parents who are Caucasian, who are mm-hmm. college educated, who live in, we happen to live in an African community. Um mm-hmm. Neither of us started out there, but that's where we ended up. So mm-hmm. we, we would make sure that, that, say that people knew that but that they knew we had done our homework and Mm. they didn't the doctors nurses therapists didn't we tried to make their job easier by knowing what we needed to know so they didn't have to dumb things down so they didn't Mm. have to go back and explain things and whatever else and i think that that again should not have to be is the wrong way to go about it but for us was the way that we were able to advocate for our child and what she you yep, really, really needed. Um, sure.
0: I mean, and, you're, you have, uh, do you have like the big book of Emma, you know, the, the, the book that has all her information oh, in it so that when you. Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. I have, I, yes. <laughs> I am, I, I, I don't know whether it's because I'm a Virgo and I'm organized or just because I'm organized, but oh, yes, I have books and files like my, the hard drive on my laptop is so highly organized that I can go back and I can pull. Actually, the other day, Emma just turned 18, we had to go through guardianship. Mm. And um, one of the things that the, whoever it was, the social worker was saying to me was, oh, well, you know, in this, in this time of COVID, it's, you know, going to be rough because you're going to need, you know, the two doctors and this and that and the other thing. Um, and I, to prove that she has Down syndrome. And I said, well, I have the karyotype of her DNA from when she was born. You know, they had to (laughs) run a DNA test. And the woman said, you do? And I said, yes. And she said, could you fax it to me? And I said, give me about 10 minutes and I can. And sure enough, I went downstairs and I went to, you know, year one or whatever it was, pulled out that piece of paper, faxed it to her, and boom, guardianship moved forward. So that was 18 years ago I filed that piece of paper. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that that's another part of it where, you know, I, we we can look back like you had to do with, you know, your mom when a doctor says, oh, well, I don't think she's ever had this. And I can say, oh, no, no, I remember when she was three. Do you want the report? And I can hand the report to them. So I think, I think that's why we've been successful too because we truly have made people's lives, you know, professionals' lives easier on purpose, you know, Because they don't have to work as
0: hard. Well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a, um, a somewhat, um, less serious, although, you know, maybe depending on the family, it's, it's not, but it, but there was a conversation we had yesterday. I had to go to a pharmacy and pick up eye drops for my cat because she has a, um, an inflamed eye and it's. You know, prescribed from the University of Pennsylvania's School of Veterinary Medicine, which is an important school and it's expensive. And we drive our cat over, you know, the Walt Whitman Bridge to the vet because we can, and we pay the money. And they prescribe things. Um, Most people would just have a cat that lost their eye, and maybe the cat would die, but because we have the wherewithal, we do that. And when you think about that in light of somebody's access to pediatric care or to access to oncology, um, in the U S where it's absurd that you have access to things for pets, um, that parts of this country don't have for people. And so, I mean, t- to step away directly from Emma's situation and look at it in a broader context, um, what do you think needs to happen so that, Care is more universal for everyone.
1: Um, oh God, how how many how much time do we have to talk about American? No,
0: healthcare? but but give but give me a feel because for me it's it's some of it's economic, some of it is a, a profit system around healthcare, some of it is um, you know just access, pure access for people. I,
1: yeah, so I that's definitely part of it, access. Um, the fact that we. Um, We live not too far from New York City, uh, obviously metropolitan. That means that those cities attract, um, in my mind, a higher level of uh, doctoring. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it, because I promise you, when Kevin and I first got married, we lived in the middle of Nowheresville, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that they would have looked at Emma and said, oh, she has a heart defect and she's going to die like that might have been Mm. what we were told instead of she has a heart defect and there's this specialist in new york city who only does this for babies with down syndrome like Mm. so i think that's that's part of it too um so i think access is part of it um i obviously you know economics economics plays a huge role in it um right now emma just qualified because she's 18 she just qualified for Well, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid, I still don't remember, but it's one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I called our doctors our a bunch of our doctors, her doctors, to say, okay, so I have these a choice of of eight or six or whatever it was. Health care plans for Emma now that she's 18. Um, Do you take any of them and literally any of them? And I think it was six or eight. Mm. And. Not a single one of those plans was taken by any of the doctors that
0: she oh my gosh.
1: now goes to. Right. Now, we're very lucky that, again, my husband has a job that provides health care that we, that Emma is enrolled in. So, you know, she does, she can still go to these doctors. But it's because of the access we have to a job, to health care, to the doctors themselves. Um you know, like that kind of stuff. If, if that were not the case, um, there are, let's just say, there are certainly heart specialists who take whatever these, you know, state plans are, but I don't know them. I don't you know, like who knows if they're good. I have no idea. And, and there might be, but I don't know. So I think that that's plays into it as well.
0: Well, I, th- I think that's that's exactly it, and and so I look at access, and I look at the complexity of the system, and I look at the the rights of the patient, and I and I overlay onto that the role of people who are Generation X. So it's a sandwich generation, right? It's the smallest is that, is that
1: generation. Is, is is that us? That's <laughs> us. Yeah, oh, that's oh, us. That's you and me. Okay. Yeah, we're X. Yeah. Oh, good. So, okay. So
0: we're the smallest group yeah. Sam- sandwiched between baby boomers, which are huge and yeah. generation, you know, Z and millennials. Okay. Okay. And, and we spend a huge portion of our time taking care of people who are getting older and yeah. raising kids simultaneously. Yeah. So when you add, I did, we,
1: go ahead. yeah, we did that actually. So when Emma was in, still in preschool, so she, she was there until she was about five or six years old. We, we were dealing with that with my dad. Mm. And, um, and I'm lucky enough to have a sibling who also was involved with the care of my dad. Um, but we had uh, almost like the perfect storm. My husband was actually in uh, a really bad car accident, um, was lucky to survive. And mm. my dad uh, dad's health took a turn for the worse right about the same time. So for about a year, we were dealing with my dad, my husband, my daughter with a disability, my, our two older children who were still, you know, like in whatever. And after a year, I, I realized that something had to give. And it was Emma's schooling, actually, that <laughs> went away. Um, because everything else was not going to go away. And I actually pulled my child with a disability out of her special needs program. Which, which was really radical. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And people on all sides looked at me and Kevin and me like we were crazy. And I just, you know, I, like you're saying this sandwich generation, I, I I couldn't do it anymore. And to have Emma home just made life easier. She went to the dry cleaner with me. She got to take a soccer class. she, Hmm. You know, like she lived just like a typical life. She didn't have the therapy. She didn't have the this. She didn't have the that. And I guess it would have been called a sacrifice. Like, and I think that that was something that we talked about at the time was that we were sacrificing one whole year's worth of therapies, you know, speech, physical, mm-hmm. occupational, uh, you, know, you name it. Um, and maybe she wasn't going to, you know, say as many words as she should or something like that. But mm-hmm. something had to give. And so we, we definitely live that generation X thing. Um,
0: you you do, you do that, bad. but, but you also be, so the harder part of that is that you become self-critical, right? So, you know, you have to do that because you can't survive doing it. How do yeah. you avoid beating yourself up? And I say this, you know, in one 20 month period, um, my mother died of cancer. My father died 13 months later. My wife had breast cancer. Um, in the middle of that, her father died of Parkinson's and her mother had cancer. That was 20 months. So you you triage and you make hard choices, but how do you not beat yourself up about the choices that you make?
1: I, I think at the time, I knew that there was no other choice. Mm-hmm. I think that's how we, I didn't beat myself up and I didn't have huge regrets. Um, Mm -hmm. there was no other choice. I was going to fall apart. My family was going Mm -hmm. to fall apart. So I thought, you know, we, we, Kevin and I talked about it long and hard and it was either do this or everything was going to fall apart. So I think, I think in that one respect, um, there were in that one dramatic moment, there was no regrets. Um, yeah and it's and, and and you know and i think it takes a lifetime to be able to stop regretting i think that's why i stayed up until 2 every morning the first 24 months of her life just reading and researching and and all this other stuff because i thought if i just read more or learn more i'll be able to i don't know unlock the secret that will allow my child to i don't even know what i don't know what i was searching for mm-hmm. um I still do obsessively research about things. Um, but I've also come to terms that we've done the absolute best with that we have been able to do with what Emma is and who Emma is. Um, and I know parents who have, you know, and and people have said over the years, Oh, you've done, you know, done so much for her, you've done so well for her, or whatever. And I know parents who have done, far far more work than i have research money you know spending the money doing whatever and their children mm-hmm. haven't necessarily come as far but it has nothing to do with what the parents have done it's just what you know what the, what the child is able to do so mm-hmm. i we kind of like everyone maximizes what you've been given so that's and and i think that's how at this point um i don't want to say i, I don't I, I don't think we have honestly i don't think we have a lot of regrets about mm-hmm. what we've done so far, um, because we've kind of done it by the seat of our pants. What what has felt good for us and the family and Emma, and and I feel like the broader world. I mean, we were fully Emma was fully included in preschool through fifth grade in our local mm-hmm. town school, and there was plenty of ups and downs. But sure. when I look back at it did we sacrifice some some stuff for her? Yeah, you know, like could her math have been farther along? <laughs> sure. I, I yes, absolutely. We 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 kind of threw math under the bus. But because she had to be with typical people 5 days a week, her speech is pretty good. Her mm-hmm. you know, her speech is pretty good. Her vocabulary is pretty good. So, you it's you know, like you have, again, you're not triaging, but you're giving one for another. I mean, she played rec you know, typical rec sports up until she was, I don't, you know, with accommodations until yeah. she was in fourth grade or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that in that respect, I mean, you know, being the, being the, as she likes to say, I adult now, Um <laughs> that's, that's a whole other phase of research and wondering if we're doing the right thing or not. So, you know,
0: that sort of <laughs> well i mean i think you said it uh, you know which is that you you kind of um you adapt and you accept um but the the level of emotional connection the environment that you raised her in of um of love and acceptance and um an exploration that's the i think that's universal for everyone isn't it i mean if you can if you can set up an environment where, um, you know, your family feels comfortable, um, regardless of what their what their challenges are, that support ne- network is huge, and you and you do make sacrifices for that, right? I mean, Kev probably could have, you know, ridden a different corporate ladder or something like that, or you could have, yeah. you know, gone back to work or done something else. So, yeah. how do you make those choices, and 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 what what do you use to guide you?
1: The choices of, what yeah, to do I mean, for, you know, when sacrifices. to move. You know, you yeah, you're like now. So yeah, there's
0: an opportunity to yeah. move, or there's it. So you, it sounds um, to me like you, you decided. Well, you know, Jersey. I have a support network with my sister. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, now, now you say I'm going to stay. I'm not going to be mobile. Yep. Is so it? Is I
1: think, it? I think that yes, you're right. I mean, have sacrifices been made? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Did my older children go to summer camp? Nope. Because we had to pay for. <laughs> Because we had to pay for Emma to go to summer yeah. camp. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for sure there are sacrifices that have been made. Um, but one of the things that, that like I remember coming home from the hospital when she was a baby, she had to stay in the NICU and I, Kevin and I were going home. And I just, you know, again, because we had zero experience, I said to Kevin something like, what, how, what is this going to do to our family? Like, how is this going to affect? our older children. I mean, like Mm -hmm. Hannah was four, Greg was two. I mean, uh, I'm going to bring this child into our family. And he, God bless him, said, I think this is going to bring a focus to our family that we never thought we would have. And I think Mm -hmm. that has been true. I think Mm -hmm. that that has helped us really understand what is important. What is, what is something we should, we should, things we should sacrifice and and how bad are those sacrifices? Like you know, it's kind of like now we're looking at you know Kevin and I we can see the teeny tiny light of retirement at the end of this tunnel, um, mm-hmm. which before you know before Emma was you know even years ago we would say oh you know Emma's gonna go live in a group home she'll be near Hannah and Gregory somewhere Daddy and I are going to be off traveling <laughs> our to our heart's content which mm-hmm. is what we love to do. And that might not be the case. And at first, it was something that we were kind of like, huh, okay. And that whether you look at it as a sacrifice, I guess you could. But more, we just looked at it as a different way of doing our retirement, that Emma might be with us, and Mm -hmm. that we, you know, that... So, so I guess from the outside in, it really does look like a sacrifice to other people. It could, I should mm-hmm. say. But to us, us, it's just, well, it is what it is, and we're going to make the best of whatever it is. Um, so I don't think it feels as like as much of a sacrifice yeah. um, as it might to other people.
0: But it is adapting. And I think that's the part that, you know, I was just reading something that Colin Powell said that um, positivity is a force multiplier. So if you, you know, uh, I, and I look at that with the challenges that, that each family has, um, it brings the opportunity to have a closer knit family, or it allows you to appreciate, you know, differences. And Emma may um, may process things differently. She might have things that are where she's, she's actually more empathetic, or she might show you, you know, a way that she deals with, you know, people or conflict or the world that you wouldn't have seen. Um, and people yeah. don't really share that
1: no I, I mean honestly that can be said of Emma I have learned so much about the world about myself um, like about other people about that she has brought so much education into my life um, mm. that I never ever ever would have expected I mean all of my children have they have brought you know something I learned from them to this day I learned you know but yes, Emma has taught me things that I never would have really, really understood. She dressed up to, she, in second grade, there was like a living museum or whatever it was called, where kids dress mm-hmm. up as, a, as someone they admire or who they want to be or, you know, whatever it might be. And Emma on her own chose Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember her coming home and whether it was her aide or Emma who kind of told me who it was, and Emma is blonde and Caucasian and blue-eyed. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I literally kind of said, what? what you, like, what? And I, and I try not to give leading questions to her because, you know, that's not fair. And I say, well, why do you want to be Martin Luther King Jr.? And she said something like, because he believed everyone should be free, and so do I. And I was like, okay. And I, I signed right, and I went and found that kid a suit, and we yeah. we made her and a tie, and and she she was the best Martin Luther King Jr. there ever was, and I again like I saw who she was, and I didn't imagine Martin Luther King Jr., but mm-hmm. she saw who she was and did imagine Martin Luther King Jr., and it opened my eyes, like you know again like. In so many ways, just to her and to the world, and how people see every themselves and each other. And I mean, and this is in second grade, and it has continued to happen ever since. With you know, whatever, my children well, I, have schooled me in ways that I never would have imagined.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's the uh, I think that's the the thing that parents discover um, more than anything that's that's amazing is how much they teach you, but then on, on top of it, I think you, you start to get an appreciation kind of for the, um, for the way that people interact in the world. And so I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. What for, for, for Emma and for the, the work that you do advocating for her, um, give me an example of, of somebody that you would say is a good ally for you. And, and what is it that they do that you find is exceptionally helpful as a parent, uh, you know, of, of a child who has Down syndrome?
1: Um, I certainly can, can think of one person who has been a rock of information support, um, who also has a child with Down syndrome who's about six or seven years older than mine. And mm-hmm. I have been able to say things to her that, um, or questions or ask questions that have been... You know, that would have seemed inappropriate in, in a lot of ways um, and just to answer questions honestly and kind of not sugarcoat it and not make it too mm. dramatic, that truly makes a good ally. Um, and I think that that's something that you know we've kind of lived uh, with Emma. We've c- tried to live kind of like out loud, I like to say. Um, mm-hmm. We don't sh- we don't shy away. When Emma started kindergarten, I handed out flyers to every single kindergarten parent about (laughs) with the school's permission about Emma Down syndrome, our family, um, you know, nothing too personal, but um, the basics about Down syndrome. And and I think I learned that from other parents who have children with Down syndrome, who, again, just they hold their head up. And they live their life, and I think that makes a good ally. You're paving a path. I, I've had that path paved for me by other parents who insisted mm-hmm. that their children be included, you know, with Down syndrome, who insisted that their children be included in whatever school, uh, you know, sports, whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. I know that that I owe those parents um, a debt, and I need to do the same thing. I need to make it better for the people who are coming. We need to make it better for people who are coming after us. So they don't have to work as hard as I did or we did to get the right reading program or inclusion into basketball or whatever it might be. So I think, I think that's, you know, I think that's what makes a good ally. Um, and then sharing how you did it. I think that's also a huge thing. Make sure to do this, make sure to do that, you know, say these words, don't say those words. (laughs) Um, that's a, that's a lot of it.
0: Well, that is a lot of it, right? I mean, I think that the, you know, if you put this in the context of any type of diversity, um, there's a vocabulary around, you know, how you talk about things. And the vocabulary gets very, very sensitive. And the phrases and the language changes over time. And so what do you do when somebody says the wrong thing? How do you educate with kindness? And, mm. and then the other side is, what happens when you see somebody who just doesn't get it, who is awkward or uncomfortable? How do you, how do you work through those types of difficulties?
1: So, I mean, definitely over time, uh, people have used the word retard, which I obviously, we do not use that word. And that's what mm-hmm. I say. And I say it as many times as I need to say that. We don't Mm -hmm. use that word. We don't use that word. And I, and I, I have friends, I have friends who get up in people's faces about it for like, Mm -hmm. you know, for real and, you know, get into shouting matches or whatever. But I, that's not necessarily my style. So I just continue to say, we don't say that word. We don't say that word. And then, you know, perhaps if there's like a well thought out article that I think that might help a person understand, I'll send it or something. Um, but most of the people who I've ever encountered, um, you know, they're, they're, they understand the reasoning behind it. And then, you know, and I say like, that's Emma, why would you say that? That's, you know, that's, that's, why would you say that? You know, that's not the way we do it. Um, and then I forget what was the second part?
0: (laughs) Well, the second part is, is, is really just around, um, well, actually, so it's the first part, it's around the vocabulary. Um, and, but when you see somebody who just doesn't get it it's somebody who's, who's unkind, um, you know, (laughs) I find this sometimes with, um, uh, older people get very impatient and they say things that are insensitive. So I was teasing my kids. We were watching The Sopranos and I said, you know, 95% of people watch The Sopranos and it's it's entertainment and it feels like a documentary to me, um, you know, because of the mannerisms and the, the way that people look at the world. And because that's a lot of the people that I knew growing up. Um, how do you, how do you deal with people who just don't, get it, not just from a vocabulary standpoint, but maybe they're just not that empathetic. Um, is it a, have you gotten to the point where you just say, you know what, I walk away. I don't try to convince people.
1: There are are some people who, yeah, I just, they're not part of our life anymore. It's just not worth Mm -hmm. it. We only have so much energy. Um, I think one of the things that we really tried to do is, um, with, with people who make all sorts of assumptions with Emma, because there is, you know, she's visibly different than other people. um, Mm -hmm. And you know, Down syndrome is kind of like a. People have assumptions of what that all means. Um, we like I I have said like listen you meet you've met one person with Down syndrome you met one person with Down syndrome like that's it mm-hmm. they're all different and yep. we, we advocate in those ways. Um, I've been in educational meetings where they the I have stopped the meeting and said no one is allowed to use the phrase Down syndrome again ever, 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 because this is, you know, we're talking about Emma. We're not talking about down syndrome. We're talking about Emma. And Mm -hmm. I mean, those are people that we had to work with. And I, I think that they looked at her a little bit differently because we made them look at Emma, not down syndrome. And Mm. I think that that has been a big part of it. Um, And I will I you know we would tend to highlight things that she was you know had her strengths or whatever. We wouldn't necessarily only talk about the weaknesses, um or the challenges, I should say.
0: Um well, th- yeah, I, and I th- I've
1: had more actually I've had more experience we've had I've personally had more experience experience with children, um, and not necessarily her peers, because the people she mm. grew up with, she's just Emma. I mean that she's just Emma and yeah. that's it. But I can remember there there's been a number of times where playgrounds, grocery stores, you know, I remember once at a car dealership where Emma was off by herself. I mean, you know, we knew where she was, but there Mm -hmm. was, there are people who like look at her different. And I actually, there was one where she was probably 15 years old and she is extremely petite, extremely petite. Mm -hmm. And there were two girls about her physical size who were probably eight, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I could hear kind of an argument ish going on. And I went over and I said, Hey, you know, what's up? And this little girl says to me, she says she's 15 years old. She's not 15 years old. And I said, Oh, Emma, how old are you? And she said, I'm 15. And I said, yeah, I'm her mom. She's 15 years old. Well, she doesn't look like she's 15 years old. How could she be 15 years old? And I, again, instead of (laughs) berating the child, I said, well, we're all pretty different, aren't we? And I said that's kind of cool, right? And I said, how old are you? And she said, whatever. And I said, right. And she was with a friend. I said, and you've got brown hair, and you've got blonde hair, and everyone is different. And Emma is not as, you know, she's a small 15 year old, and you're, are you? And she, and the one little girl says, well, I'm big for eight. I said, there you go. She's big for eight. I said, so we're all different, and it's it's a good thing. And they were like, oh, okay. And then they played together. So like. I,
0: I think like that's the. Thing. Oh bless like, you, oh bless yeah. you. I'm I'm <laughs> so uh, it just pleases my heart that there's somebody who does that. Um, I uh, I'm not that good at that. Um, I think I think that children can be inordinately cruel and rude and ignorant. Um, and you know I've had cyberbullying issues, and I've I've watched. You know, kids be ostracized. You know, all of those horrible, rotten things, and um, it's it's hard to know how much to engage and how much to pull back. Um, so, you seem to have found a um, you know, knowing you and knowing how clear you are in your communication, um, you you seem to have found a very good way of of managing um, all of those issues. So, then I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> But, which really is impressive to be to be truthful, um, because I have um, I have found that there's a combination of um, just the sheer busyness of life, um, the unexpected kind of crises, short-term crises that we deal with, and then the ability to have patience. Um, and the, <laughs> it's a deadly combination to be asked for patience when you know your your life is very busy and something unexpected pops up. Um, so, so that's kind of what I want to ask you. um, you know, we're in our fifties and we've had all of these different challenges as parents, as adults, um, as people, um, when you take a step back and look at the times that we're living in, um, what do you see? What do you think the, how do you wrap this up in terms of the, the environment that we grew up in, um, before the age of the internet, um you know, all of these other issues, COVID, et cetera. Um, What do you think the world's going to look back on this generation and, and kind of the way that we lived our lives and say both positive and negative?
1: You mean us, not our kids. I, yeah. I mean us, not you know. our kids.
0: No, no, no. Because I think our kids are going to live in a different world. You know, yeah, they're agree. living in a world where they grew up with the internet, or they, you know, they grew up maybe with um with a different dynamic with social media or connectivity. We didn't have that. But but, but okay. what do you what do you think the view is of of these Gen Xers who've who've been in the sandwich generation?
1: I I I think that a lot of us are sadly looking to our children to save us meaning Mm -hmm. the world um and i it makes me really uh, sad that they are they can no longer so you know my kids are my older kids are 22 and 20 and Mm -hmm. um the fact that i can't sit them down and say It is all going to be fine. It's all going to work out. (laughs) The ice caps aren't going to melt. The, you know, the world won't burn. (laughs) You know, politics will work out. (laughs) You know, Mm. I think that part, I I think that part is how it doesn't weigh on every single 50 something adult, whether you have children or not, that we cannot Mm -hmm. turn to the next generation and say, we did all right. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're, it's okay. We're, you know, we're, you have some challenges, but we, we, I mean, we have slashed and burned this earth and this (laughs) world. And, you know, and I think that that's, that's the hardest part of what we're, what us 50 or 50 somethings are doing right now is how can, how are we looking at it and saying, oh yeah, we, we we're leaving this place a little bit better than we started. um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure we're doing that. So I think that's
0: the hard part. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I think that, um, I agree with you that, you know, given where we were in the nineties, I would have thought that prejudice and outright racism would have been something that we had moved beyond and yet it's back in full force. And I would have thought that, uh, this or kind did of, it ever um, really
1: go? Did it ever really well, go
0: away? Well, no. I mean, naively, I thought I thought that I don't think it ever went away, and and so I'm, I'm much more I'm much more callous about um, what gets said yeah. behind closed doors, Agreed. and the way that people pass that along um, because they they do it in hushed ways, and now what we're seeing is people doing it in overt ways, which is
1: yeah.
0: insane to me that they feel Our, they have um, the license to do that. Yeah. Um, but but I I've <sighs> I focus on raising empathetic kids. And, and kids who, who engage in issues um, because I think empathy is a, is a, it, it's kind of the, the only thing that I think you can, you can use to approach just about any situation. So, so how, you know, the, the question that I usually end with, there's two questions is so what, and then now what? So, so what, so what that we have, we're all sitting in our homes again with mm-hmm. COVID uh, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, you know, we're, we're waiting for a second wave um, at the same time that we've got, you know, politics that seem to be spinning out of control, hate crimes that are rising, et cetera. So what? W- what do you do with that? How do you internalize that? How do you sort it in your head? Does the world become smaller and you only deal with what can you deal with or or what?
1: I mean – I feel like for myself, you have to pivot just mm-hmm. like we did with the shutdown. Um, the fact that I was not as knowledgeable on all of the racism stuff that's going on right now, it's not mm-hmm. uh, okay. I'm going to insulate myself because it has served me well. It, it has to be, I have to pivot and learn and I have to act. I have mm-hmm. to figure out what, what us 50-year-olds, 50-somethings need to do to continue to try to make things better for those who come after us. That's the so what. So what is learn. So what is when you know Hmm. better, you do better. And I think that's the part that if I if there aren't folks who are doing that, that's the part that frustrates me the most. You know, being ignorant is one thing, but then knowing and continuing on whatever path you're on, if knowing that that's the part that I, I am unaccepting of. And
0: I'm, <laughs> well, I have, I have a phrase for you then you're going to love this. Um, my, my, my phrase that I've developed over the last several years is you can be ignorant or arrogant, but you got to choose one. No, you can't, I like you can't that. be both. Cause no. if you're, if you're ignorant, okay, fine. But if you're humble yep. about it, you can be educated. And if you're arrogant, if you know your stuff, great. Mm but you put those both together and you're going to have a reckoning (laughs) somewhere down the line. Well,
1: you're going to have a reckoning with me anyway. You, (laughs) you're not, you may not have a, you may not have a personal reckoning because you are that arrogant and you're fine with being ignorant. But You're going to have a reckoning with me.
0: Yes. And there's a beauty of that. And I, and I Mm -hmm. will, um, because there's a phrase. So I have, I have a friend of mine, uh, from years ago that, um, He's later, he went on to run companies and be very successful. And uh, he was asking me some feedback on his communication style. And I said, well, I noticed this. When you're really pissed off, when you really are at your wit's end, you use this phrase. And I know that if you use that phrase, that the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to nail somebody to the wall. And he said, oh, really? I said, yeah. And the phrase is, help me understand. And I would watch her in these meetings, just stop and go, okay, help me Uh-oh. understand. So I came, I, I came home and I told that story and my, and my wife, Sandy, laughed and she said, yeah, you have one. And I said, what's that? She said, oh, really? She said, if I hear you with somebody go, oh, really? She's like, oh, here it goes so so maybe that's a little lesson for everybody I
1: wonder uh if I want, I, you know what i think i think i might have one and it might be something like have you considered have you considered you know, like,
0: ah there you go because you, consider- you get you get i just heard your voice it was like yeah. have you you know it kind of went up a little have bit you, higher yeah
1: <laughs> have, you considered, have you considered the privilege that you sit in right now is because of dot 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 um and i and and i i think you know the the so what part too i think is also born from the fact that. Um, that because my I have a child with a disability, um, it is also something that um, as the Black community is is uh, fighting for their rights right now, um, the disabled the disabled community is also fighting for rights, and I think that that's part of the so what as well because yes, um, as we lift up every people, um, every community, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. you know, the. Everyone else gets lifted up, and I think that that's that's part of why the whole like pivot and well, do better.
0: And I and I think that's important to say because, um, you know, I've been I've been watching Dave Chappelle stand up for the last three days, uh, mm-hmm. and and I, I'm now I'm now like I'm digging into really old Dave Chappelle yeah. stand up, and there's and there's something there because he he takes the most awkward. Um, situation and he puts it on the table and then he dissects it minutely and in a way that makes you laugh sometimes nervously. But he said something that was really interesting. Um, you can't compare and judge discrimination against discrimination. You can't say, he said, he said, did you ever hear, you know, somebody who's black and somebody who's Jewish talk about um, who is more oppressed? Because, you know, the Jewish people said, well, we were slaves in Egypt and, you know, the, the black person will say, well, you went all the way back to Egypt. Well, that's what I did. And you can't do that. There, everybody, every group that is abused, every group that is discriminated against has their own unique experience. And judging them, comparing them is probably a very difficult thing because the circumstances are different. Um that's that's a huge lesson, and I don't feel like we've we had learned that until the last couple of years. So I, so I'm going to pivot off of that statement. You can tell me what you think about that. But the but the second part is around the now what. So so what is the now what? What do we do? This is a life altering, once in a century experience of the world shutting down. There are no sports. There are no live theater. There is no, there are no concerts. Um, we are at home. We are listening we're paying attention um what do we do now
1: i think we seize this moment i think it is such a unique moment i think we seize it and we try to get people to reflect and learn and change i i really do i think that this is it i mean it is a hugely unique moment in time And then, you know, and then again, as I said to my friend the other day that our, let's say great, great grandparents, they, they were, did quarantine stuff on the regular. So Mm. it's not like it's the first time we're ever doing it, but it's not like humankind hasn't done it before. And I do think that this, I, I think that we, we try to grab as many people as we can along with us and we try to get them to reflect and and educate themselves and learn and do better because now we, we do know better. Um,
0: Don't waste the moment.
1: Don't like, don't waste it. Don't waste this. You know what I mean? This unique time in history.
0: I do. And you know, Sandy's uh, my wife, Sandy's uh, grandfather was an orphan from the 1918 flu, both parents. So he and his, uh, his, uh, sister and brother were were orphans and they were all sent to different families. Um, So the, the the potential life altering impact of, of this situation was never lost on our family. But, but you've said this a couple of times, you know, if you know better, you'll do better. And I think that's the piece that I want to, I want to end on with you, Beth, because you're, you have always been somebody who will, has, has a, unique interest in learning about other people and it seems like you've passed that on to your kids um and that you and kevin have kind of created you remind me of my mom in a way you know the, the goal here was to create an environment that was so nurturing for the kids that they could explore whatever direction they wanted to go into because they knew that it was a safe and kind of loving environment so no better do better um what do you think what question do you wish people would ask you about raising a child with down syndrome that they don't ask?
1: Um, hmm. um, I think, I think people assume that it's a sad life, just like our family, I guess i mm. that it's all hardship and all, you know, uh, struggle or whatever. Um, And I think, I think that people don't understand that, that it's not, you know, there, there are these, you know, there is absolute joy and, uh, an awakening of our own in raising someone with an intellectual disability or I guess any disability. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and like for Emma, you know, we are so lucky that she is a very loving child. You know, mm-hmm. unless we cross her, of course, <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> then God help you. The rage of, the rage of her Irish comes out. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that, that, you know, we live a really typical life. And I think a lot of people don't understand that unless you know someone up close and personal. Um, sure. For us, that's our experience. Um, is it all just like this sad drudgery? And I, and again, I, I think that it can be if you want it to be like you know it can be a really sad thing to think that you know kevin and i may have emma with us through our retirement i mean if, yeah. if, if you want to make it a sad thing you can um sure but yeah. it doesn't you, have to be i think that's part of it too
0: no i mean yeah. you so you can't control what happens but you control how you react to it right and if, exactly. and, if you, and that's exactly you know, the...
1: it that's exactly it you know, what, how, how long are we going to be sad about this? I mean, I, again, I know mm-hmm. people who are, you know, it continues to bother them that, um, you know, a lot that their child is not going to live a typical adult life or something like that. But I don't know. My sister says it is what it is. And I'm like, yeah. I, I've been, I've been, I swear, I've been raised on cliches, but they serve me well. Um, but so there's a reason why
0: they're cliches, right? I mean, I th- yeah. think to a certain extent they they fit. You know, they they fit more more often than than other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I think that what what I take away from from this is is your your ability to face things with kindness and and empathy and patience is uh, is really enlightening. It's really um, encouraging. Um, and so I want to, I want to thank you for how you frame this up. I've learned a lot. Um, but I also, I, I wasn't surprised knowing how you've approached the world. Um, so final thoughts, anything that you, that you would want to say to people who are trying to be allies of, you know, a wider range of, of people, whether it's ethnicities or backgrounds or challenges that they face. Um, anything you want to end with?
1: Um, I think. You've got to be. You have to be brave. You know, you got to find the, the bravery somewhere in you, even if you like. Again, oh my gosh, another cliche. Take it till you make it. Take it mm. till I should have. I should have a shirt that says that because, you know, you have to be brave in order to pursue things and get things for people that they deserve or they need, um, even if you're, you know, unsure of yourself try to be brave for someone else um yeah. i think that's that's part of it too to well brave. actually
0: that that's that's spot on if you can't be brave for yourself be brave for someone else mm-hmm. i think we can end with that
1: okay, thank, that you, so much,
0: thank <laughs> you so wonderful. much beth
1: it was wonderful for asking me this is fun
0: No, me too. Um, so that's all the time we have, uh, here at the allies podcast, but again, and as always, if you have ways that we can improve the podcast, please let us know if you have other questions of Beth or you, um, want links or, or ways to connect, um, for, for people with Down syndrome, uh, or with other, uh, intellectual disabilities, please let us know. We'll do what we can, uh, and let us know how we can make it better. So that's all for me. And I will talk to you soon.